Well, good morning, church. I want to echo what I've heard quite often this week from our leaders, our staff, and many of you in our congregation. Um, we miss the face-to-face -face community of our church family. Already we're experiencing the reality of the statement, absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> While we don't know how long this absence will be, we do know that God has not surrendered his authority and he's not decommissioned his church. So we press on in new and creative ways to connect with God and one another so that even in these crazy and often chaotic times that we're personally growing as disciples, as followers of Jesus. Uh, speaking of new and creative ways, I want to give a shout out to our staff who are doing a fantastic job of adapting our situation and creating just a lot of material that help us as a congregation continue to not only grow personally, but also to help those of you who are discipling other people and helping them to grow as well, especially our families. I'm very proud of their initiative, um, of their quality, of their commitment to our mission. Now, when I looked at our current series that we've entitled Lost and Found, I knew that we needed an adaptation to address what is the current crisis in our world. I had originally determined that we would spend the next three weeks leading up to Easter in Luke 15, talking about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. I'll let God continue to lead through this concerning what we address, but certainly everyone is a bit lost right now in the current chaos. So instead of the plan, I sensed that God wanted me to address how we might experience God's calm in the midst of our current chaos. Now I found this challenging earlier in the week as there were so many different thoughts I had that I thought needed to be brought in light of this context. I landed in the end on a passage in the book of Philippians. So I want you to go ahead and turn there to Philippians chapter 4 in preparation. Now you'll recall that Paul wrote the book of Philippians from a prison cell, oddly enough, as some of you may feel a bit imprisoned as you're isolated yourself, though I assure you that your circumstances are much better than any of Paul's. Now, coming to the end of this letter, Paul is going to do what he typically does toward the end of his letters. He's going to give a series of short statements in conclusion. Well, that was perfect for me this week as he leads us in several thoughts that I find really helpful for experiencing God's calm in the midst of chaos. Paul has written this letter to the Philippians so that they may live, as he puts it in Philippians 1.27, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And while we're not being persecuted like Paul's original hearers would have been, we are under duress with this COVID-19 coronavirus and all the uncertainties that lie ahead. So let's consider what we read as God's counsel to us from his word, beginning with this. How we position ourselves really matters. Paul writes in Philippians 4, verses 4 and 5, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now in life, we often find uh, what we're looking for. And I think this current situation is no different. I've observed people finding all kinds of negative things, and in many cases, that's because they're looking for the negative. However, I've also found people who are finding beauty in all of this because that's what they're seeking. That just reminds us that Paul's uh, 
encouragement here to rejoice, that rejoicing is a choice. It's a choice that's either fueled by seeking God's perspective in the chaos and seeing how he is or at least can work in it all, or it's hampered by a bad attitude, a negative perspective, even a complaining spirit. Now, I'm not oblivious to the real and present dangers to people's health, to their jobs, to their income, and to the lives that we feel we've been able to experience because of God's blessing. I'm just simply asking that you look for God working in the midst of the chaos, or trust that God will work in the midst of this chaos. It'll change your perspective and allow you to rejoice because you'll become acutely aware of both his presence and of his working in ways that you may never have seen before. It'll also change the way you deal with people. Paul uses the word gentleness to describe how we should be to one another. Now, I've heard a lot of descriptions of how people have dealt with one another these days, especially in stores, and not many of them have even come close to the word gentle. We know that this world is full of people that are living with fear and pain and brokenness and anger. And God is represented well when we express gentleness to the people that we interact with. It sets us apart as difference. I think it makes a convincing argument that God is actually alive inside of us. I like what Aubrey Hepburn said now years and years ago when she was asked to share her beauty tips. It was actually read at her funeral years later. Here's what she said. She said, for attractive lips, speak words of kindness. For lovely eyes, seek out the good in people. For a slim figure, share your food with the hungry. For beautiful hair, let a child run his or her fingers through it once a day. For poise, walk with the knowledge that you never walk alone. People, even more than things, she says, have to be restored, renewed, revived, reclaimed, and redeemed. Therefore, never throw out anyone. Remember, she said, if you ever need a helping hand, you'll find one at the end of each of your two arms. And she says, as you grow older you'll discover that you have two hands, one for helping yourself and the other for helping others. Now back in Philippians, Paul is going to encourage us with the fact, next of all, that anxiety can be changed to peace. Listen to what he says in verses 6 and 7. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now let me read these same verses out of the message. It's a paraphrase, but it gives a different flow to the same concept. It's translated this way. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Now those verses um, challenge those of us whose first response to anxiety is to try and fix something or to try and fix someone. We have so little control 
over the situation that we find ourselves in with regard to this virus and those who are making the choices for us. Paul says our first response to anxiety should be prayer. And he says that when it is, the result will be peace. What do people see when they see you these days? People like your children, your neighbors, your co-workers. Do they see a person of peace or one that's overcome with anxiety? Do you pray about every circumstance? Are your prayers accompanied by thanksgiving? It's possible that our level of peace and our sense of God's presence are all tied to our prayer life. The peace of verse 6 stands in contrast to the anxiety The piece of verse 7 stands in contrast to the anxiety of verse 6. The anticipated response to life's challenges, the response that is human, the response that's playing out in the lives of those around us is complete anxiety. In contrast, the person of God experiences the peace of God in the midst of turmoil because we've placed our lives as well as our circumstances before a sovereign God. A God who will either change the turmoil or he'll give us the strength to endure the turmoil. Like what Vance Habner said about this anxiety or this worry when he said, worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. (laughs) I also like the description of peace described in this passage that helps us understand the wording more in the original Greek when it said that peace stands like a like a garrison of soldiers commissioned to protect our hearts and our minds. Listen, my friends, God's plan is beautiful when we follow it and when we receive the benefits. So listen and absorb these two passages which contain the words of Jesus that I think speak into our current anxiety. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 and 26 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? In the book of John, chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now as we look back in Philippians, Paul's going to give us back some sense of control in the midst of the chaos when it reminds us that, listen, it's your mind and it's your choice. Anxiety or peace have a lot to do with how we focus our attention. So Paul writes in verse 8, finally brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about how many hours you've logged already with news reports, online searches, information about closing and Facebook posts. What are you feeding on? And how much time in comparison are you spending on taking in God's word so that his spirit can frame your thinking. It can be easy to see the world or things in the world around us as bleak and tainted with evil, 
dangerous, if you will. Paul tells them and us to look for the noble, the pure, the lovely, the admirable, the excellent, and praiseworthy things around us, and then to ponder these things. When we capture these things, we see more clearly that this world still belongs to God, even though it contains the results of sin and evil in it. Now, while the basis of everything that is true and good can be found in the Word of God, there are examples of goodness all around us. Sometimes some of the best ideas or examples about how to love people and serve people come through difficult times. So focus on the right things, and you'll inspire to be the hands and the feet and the mouth and the heart of God. The light of God shines brightest in the darkness. So let his light shine on your thoughts and it will burn bright in your actions. But those actions are not automatic. So Paul will finish with our text this morning with the encouragement to number four, cross that all-important action bridge. First in verse eight, Paul tells us how to think. And then in verse nine, he will tell us how to act. To know what to do and to actually do something are two very different things. To have a Christian ethic is good. To practice that ethic is the only thing that really makes it worthwhile. So Paul says in verse 9, Whatever you have learned, or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. What an important reminder in times like these, that our Christianity is not just about what we know, it's also about how we live. In fact, without putting it into practice, one might even question whether or not we really even know it. Knowledge comes from learning and observing, but action is the real test of knowledge. As we learn here in verse 9, peace comes most freely when we put what we've learned into action. We all know the angst that comes from wrestling with an issue of obedience, knowing we should act upon something yet not being willing to actually carry it out. Hopefully you've also experienced the peace that comes from following God's leading, from being obedient. Paul says, and life confirms, that these go together. Now friends, we're living in time of chaos. In times of chaos, Paul urges us to be gentle rather than vindictive, to be prayerful rather than anxious, and to be appreciative of the good in others rather than looking for all the wrong in our society. <clears throat> Martin Luther lived during a time when the bubonic plague was an epidemic, and people were fleeing Germany. And he and his then-pregnant wife chose to stay with their people in the midst of the chaos. And he wrote these, um, all of a sudden, to us more meaningful words in a letter entitled, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly, Deadly Plague. This is what he wrote. He said, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to not become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. And I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid him, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith, because it's neither brash 
nor foolhardy, nor does it tempt God. So let's strike a balance in these days being between being cautious and proactively engaged. The balance is often displayed in our creative methods of connecting to people. Use your phones. Employ social media. Leverage email and texting options. Love God and love people in whatever way God leads you. And take heart. God is still on his throne, giving us the ability to experience his calm in the midst of the chaos. And allow me to close with the words of Jesus from John chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you these things, Jesus said, so that in me you have, may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. As we close our time together, um, maybe something has popped up in your mind as you've been worshiping or maybe during your time of communion or even during the message portion of this video that you realize that you just need some prayer for. I mean, we all are always in need of prayer, but you might have something very specific. And since we don't have our normal cards that we can fill out, um, we would love to still pray for you, though. So if you would, if you have a prayer request, we would love to hear from you. And you can just use uh, our office email, office at troycc.org. There you can just email us your prayer request. That'll get passed around and we will, we'll pray for it. If you come across other needs, um, whether it be personal, whether it be your neighbors, I don't know if we can help, but we want to try. We want to be great neighbors. We want to love our town and our city through all of this. And so would you keep us informed? If you hear of things that people um, need help with, we would love uh, to see what we can do. Um, with that, though, we are just I'm thankful again that you joined us this week. And uh, let me just... Let me just pray for us as uh, we finish our time together. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what we've heard. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you and to praise your name. God, I pray that we will continue to just lean on you, that we will continue uh, to love you the way you want us to, but also to love those around us in just a mighty way. God, we just thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. And we just pray all of these things in his powerful name. Amen. Have a great week.